0: Now approaching at platform passengers Airport, Please stay on board. Next stop road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
1: This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal score some brilliant goals to beat Watford. You decide on which was the best. We'll also be discussing the Manchester derby and Manchester United's poor performance. Are there too many scapegoats at the club? Elsewhere, big wins for Crystal Palace, Brentford and Newcastle. And we'll be asking Tony his opinions on the end of the season. Yes, Mr. Cascarino has joined the game. Hello, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissancroft. With you today, myself, Alison Rudd, Tom Clark, and joining us every fortnight from now on a Monday, the former Millwall, Celtic, and Chelsea frontman, regular in the times, of course, Tony Cascarino, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Hugh. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here with Alison and obviously Tom. Just Alison, And yourself. Yeah. <laughs> now, all, all, all three of you. All three of you. Tom. Good. We're delighted to have you. Um, look, plenty for us to discuss. Cracking weekend, particularly in the Premier League. We rarely do this on the game podcast, but we start this week at Vicarage Road, celebrating all that is good, all that is beautiful about the game because... Arsenal sit in pole position for a place in the top four. They're six points ahead of Spurs, who've played the same number of games. They're a point and two points ahead of Manchester United and West Ham, respectively. But they have three games in hand on both of those teams. So they're looking very good for what could be a stunning end to the season. But their 3-2 win over Watford was highlighted by exceptional team goals. And, Alison, you were there to witness them. Before we get to the goals specifically, we've got to say... Fantastic from Arsenal once again because they're, they're building a real style and identity under Mikel Arteta.
2: Yep, four games on a trot that they've won and I remember talking about how they just didn't have that in them not so very long ago. Yes, they he's given a young team, they're the youngest team in the Premier League and he's giving them the freedom to express themselves and have a bit of fun and have faith in their ability. When they're in the groove, they are, they're as Pretty as any team in the top four, they lack um, gravitas. Defensively, there are problems there. And after such a joyous match in the um, early spring sunshine, it was just a lovely place to be. It was quite a shock to the system to see Arteta glowering afterwards. He was <laughs> actually quite cross. And someone made a joke about the fact he um, he could, was he going to claim an assist because he he made he, he picked up the ball and gave it to sacker and said, take it quickly. And the throw in led to one of the goals. And so, you know, after you've won a game and the goals have been so amazing and you were a part of it, he, he should have sat there beaming and having a joke about it if he didn't want to. He wanted to focus on the negatives from his point of view, which is they allowed Watford to look quite attractive too. And if Watford had um, held their brains together um, with their final passing, they, they you know, they could easily have got a draw, actually. So he, he, and in a sense, what I'm, the reason I'm mentioning that is, I think that is a good sign. If you're an Arsenal fan, that their manager felt there were flaws there. He wants to iron out. He wants more concentration. He wants them to be a bit more grown up and control games better. It was basically the contr- lack of control in, in a game that they were, they were sublime. Some of the passing was phenomenal. So they should have sort of. um steamroll at it and they didn't the fact that he saw a lot to get cross about uh, bodes well i think for their challenge for a top four place and i i can't quite believe those words are coming out of my mouth because they they have been flaky and sometimes they do look immature and there's a sort of sense of the way the way they celebrated their two recent wins over wolves for example you sort of felt you know they just they just won a cup they just they're they're, they're too excitable it, this should be part and parcel of their, their march towards Champions League football. I'd I, I, I grown up enough to, to, to get there. But the fact that he was cross after a game in which there were moments, quite a lot of moments of perfection, I think is a good sign for uh, them.
1: How do you read Arteta then, given what Alison said, Tony? I wouldn't disagree
3: with anything Alison said there. I'd also add in that, you know, the club have to take great credit and stick in sticking by a man that's job was on the line. That in the early part of the season, we are all expecting there's one more defeat away from being sacked. With that, he's been non-negotiable on lots of things at the football club. He's let big players go out the door. He's got a mentality of, I believe, which is really important at football clubs, of players who really want to play for Arsenal. That is really vital to why they, that can be successful for them because Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, even La- I'll say even Lacazette because I think Lacazette's doing a very unselfish role in that team. Now I see lots of good things. I was a big advocate of Arteta getting the job a number of years ago. I felt he had a a side to him, and I'd heard a lot through his training methods when he was working with Pep and how his feelings of how he wanted his team to play, and it was very City-like against Watford. No, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing them to City, but it was City-like in the way they were clinical. Um, pace in their team, which breaks teams completely. They can, you know, I I, I thought the uh, performance of Saka on the right was tremendous, as in, he just, the fullback Kamara just didn't know what to do with him. He didn't know whether he was going to go inside, round him, and he's got an incredible habit of getting goals as well and this is a young lad that's going to be having every club in the world wanting him very soon so Arsenal have to be successful in some manner to keep
1: the likes of him and others let me tell you Tony the Arsenal fans that I know they hate me at the moment right because I've put a few things to them not all the time though we've had had, well probably all the time right but we've had had a lot of conversations about Bakayu Saka's contract actually I wanted to highlight him mainly because he, he spoke after the game about how much the players are enjoying themselves at Arsenal Um, and I wanted to ask you how much that makes a difference to players when they are enjoying themselves but his contract will have a year left in the summer Mm -hmm. and he's going to have a decision to make the club's going to have a decision to make and all my mates think he wants to lead the rebirth of Arsenal and get them back challenging and I say well if he signs a five-year deal what are Arsenal going to win in those five years where will this rebirth be in the next five years because he could just spend that those five years getting Arsenal back to the point where they challenge for the title and not a massive amount otherwise. So for me, I think it's a huge decision because I agree with you. He could go and play for one of the current best teams in the country, if not in Europe. You're, yeah. so
2: you're, he's, he's talking about the Harry Kane syndrome, which is, is now known as, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. which...
3: Let's get this right. Okay, when you're a young man and he's still got a lot of time on his side, if the club are so desperate I've been in this position myself with with Teddy Sheridan at Millwall where we got promoted we done really well we both got contracts put in front of us that were comparable to the best in the league at the time I was told the deal that I signed this is just me personally when I was at Millwall was as much as what the champions of England at that time which were Arsenal was getting so I signed a contract which the players that won the league they paid me that sort of money mm. to keep me at the club. Okay, now you're gonna have, oh Arsenal are gonna have to do a similar thing because if they think he's worth 120 million, for example, then you're gonna have to pay him as an 120 million pound player because you can't demand the fee and not pay the wages. Yeah. So there is a an obstacle there. I think for him personally, if he really believes Arteta's improving him and that's going to continue, then I will see every reason to stay. And look, football changes really quickly Hugh. You can be I I signed that deal that I talked about with me I was gone a year and a half later. You know, so that 5-year deal is yes, it's safety for the club in some respects, but generally if you fail there is, you know, the Harry Kane scenario is a bit of a one-off which it does happen, but I believe that he would sign a new deal because Arsenal will have to put a contract in front of him that him and his agent are going to be excited by to keep him at the club.
2: Will will it depend on Champions League qualification? Oh,
3: absolutely, Al. If you foul, then you're at every danger of being the, the vultures hanging around your football club to take... You know, I look at Saka and I think he's so suited to Liverpool and Man City. He's so suited. Now, if they don't, I mean, I look at Saka and think, well, if they lost... Uh, Liverpool lost Salah. He would be the one I'd go after because there's way more goals in there. He's probably slightly even quicker than Mo Salah. I, I don't think he would score as many, but there's room for improvement. So the vultures will be hanging over your football club if you don't achieve some of the goals. So it would be very hard to keep him at Arsenal if
1: they fail. The thing, the argument that I put forward to my mates was I would wait. If I was his agent, if I was him, I would wait for the first half of next season to see how the club continues to grow. I wouldn't commit too early. There's no reason to commit early, really. You're talking about six months worth of wages, which you can probably get in the contract negotiation anyway, if you do sign it after that period of time. But Mikel Arteta is still a young manager, still hasn't really proven himself it's still a very young and inexperienced group of players and it could still go the other direction at the start of next year. Plus, you're looking at the likes of Man United. You don't know who they're going to appoint. You don't know what will happen at Spurs. The competition might be stronger for the top four next season and they might well be back in the Europa League. So Mm. it's not to say don't sign a contract at Arsenal. You know, I'm sure he's very happy and that's the place he wants to be. But I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't commit too early. There's no reason to. The club's going to want you. How much money are they going to have to play to to replace you? They're going to want to give you that new contract. And the other thing is. I, I, look, I felt I felt really bad saying this because I said to my mates, look, if you look at around the league and some of the young players who got big deals over £200,000 a week for um, but, uh, for Marcus Rashford at Manchester United, who I think is on about £220,000 a week. Anthony Martial was on about £250,000 a week. He got given that contract as a young player at Manchester mm. United. You look at the players at City, they're going to be toward the 200000 mark. And you start thinking they gave £300,000 a week plus to Aubameyang. They gave that to Meza Erzl. So where do you sit? Do you sit 250 a week and, and above? That's what I'd be asking for. No, could, I, you, you, I'm just saying I would.
3: You take the mentality of the lad in consideration. If you think he's a great pro and a great young um, sort of leader without being the captain type, I, I, I think that you can get really lost with going examples. You can give us examples of anything. In any form, especially in sport, of saying we'll look at Meza Ozil, look at Alexis Sanchez, but you can also turn and say we'll look at performances of someone like Mo Salah when he signed a new deal. He didn't drop off, and he was became um, Virgil van Dyke as the you know the highest paid player at Liverpool.
1: But I'm saying these were in. In vitally important players for the club at the point that they sign their contract. Mm. So I, I'm saying if I'm Saka, how how important do you think I am for the future of this team? If you really regard me as one of the top two or three players... <laughs> what you're players, saying
2: is, do you think he's... Saying... You want him on the cheap! <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> no, what, no, what i you saying. think if I'm... if
1: I'm his angel, I'm saying, how much do you value Bukayo Saka? If you think he's one of your most important players and he's led you to the Champions League and he's going to do it again and again and again, I want... A, a lot of money. because Do gonna... you?
2: Do you value me so much that you're going to give me so much money that I can then play sh- for the next six months? <laughs> well, that's yeah. what you're saying?
1: Well, that's the business, isn't it? That's the game. No. Um, listen, he's been brilliant. He's yeah. been absolutely brilliant and I'm sure he wants to stay at Arsenal. Great to see him with a big smile on his face um, at the end of that game. As I said, talking about how much the players are enjoying themselves at the moment. I just want to ask you, when you're in a changing room, everyone's having fun. What difference does that make to a player's life?
3: You don't want to be anywhere else that's what a difference it makes you're loving your team you're enjoying you playing your football and you're an exciting team that's developing and going forward so you know it isn't a coincidence there's very few players that leave clubs and if you want to go to your own club manchester united I many a many year no one really wanted to leave Man United. It was going backwards if you did. Now, if you're at that type of club and that mentality, which I think has been instilled by the manager, Arteta, at Arsenal, there is a progression there. Now, obviously, that has to continue. But being part of a happy squad, liking each other, um, it doesn't mean you have to be nice to each other. You're going to have your fallouts. But generally, you're all pushing for the right goals. Mm. And that is to try and be successful. I... Bit of piece earlier on in the season, all about on Arsenal were pretty dreadful at times. Saying that I really believe they could still make the top four. Now I'm not trying to be smart here or pat me own back. I've got some other things dreadfully wrong, <laughs> um, like saying Leeds will make the top six, which they didn't. Okay, so but I felt that they could because I do see that Arteta has done an amazing thing with uh, just creating the right environment to have every chance of being successful, which is important. It's no different from what Man City have done. Man City have spent really big, but they've created an environment that it's based upon, this is going to be the pathway to our success.
1: And it's non-negotiable. Well, team goals are becoming a bit of a hallmark for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal side. Tom, three brilliant goals from them against Watford. Erdegard Saka and Martinelli, which was your
4: favourite? Oh, good God, you put me on the spot there, Hugh. Thanks very much. Um, probably the final one, I think, Martinelli's. I think the pace and the one-touch moves was just superb to watch. But I think when you talk about those great goals and just jumping on some of the things the guys have talked about there, it's about identity, isn't it? And the quality of the players they have are not of a level of Manchester City and Liverpool but I do see Arteta he's got an identity to this team and so I that's that's why I've been kind of pushing them the same way Tony has this season because I think it would be great if they did finish fourth because that is what Tottenham Manchester United are lacking they don't have an identity on and off the pitch and that's what Arteta has given Arsenal and also I think quite telling in these games I don't know whether Alison you noticed it but as well as the beautiful goals there are also a couple of moments of kind of good bit of uh, grit and determination there was a lovely moment not lovely moment but the moment at the end of the game when Watford were really wound up and Arsenal kind of did a few kind of clever tactical fall to the floor win a free kick Kieran Tierney did a few wind-ups there's this great video going around on social media where uh, I think it's Hernandez who's all fired up and Tierney just goes come on then let's have a scrap what you want to take me on let's have a go (laughs) and You know, I think Thomas Party as well in midfield is becoming more of an important player in terms of like sitting and kind of disrupting things in midfield and giving the ball to those beautiful attacking players. So it all comes together, I think. It's starting to, certainly for Arsenal. I remember us discussing that draw with Burnley and go, oh, they need a goal scorer. They've they've cocked it up and then they go on another run. So to answer your first question, the Martinelli goal for me, the most beautiful. But I think there are lots of other moments there that are just making an identity for Arsenal. And that's why I hope they get the
2: top four. Point of order... And I genuinely worry if that I've lost my sense of humor or missed the joke. But on match of the day 2, they decided there were only four goals mm. that you could call sublime. Well, I wrote in the in the times that all five were yep. marvelous. What was wrong? Moussa Sissoko, nice feet for a big man. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> control made Ben White look a little bit you know I, I bit think stupid that, I think in what that, I way think, was that I think, not worthy I of think highlighting Ben White's
1: defending is the reason that, that Munster Sissoko probably wasn't given you can only the... beat
2: what's put in front of no, you no, I, just, no, I thought, no, I thought I it know. was a very strange decision when there's a <laughs> there's a great game lots of I mean and you have the ability. Out, the BBC the BBC are just so into the goals I mean that's how they edit everything and how they you know they organise their running orders on goals 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 and they have a game with five amazing goals and they decide to be sniffy about one of them ridiculous
4: so that was your favourite in the game
2: <laughs> Pure, on that basis yes. yes
4: go on Alison I think as well it's just very briefly we should t- just touch on Watford and I thought they were fantastic at, mm. for periods as well and obviously for a neutral they really added to it as a spectacle in that their brilliant goal the overhead kick goal came from a kind of counter-attack back and forth I think Ramsdale kicked the ball long Arsenal went on the counter-attack nearly had a chance and then Foster did the same thing low kind of kick out to the halfway line counter-attack overlap overhead kick they, they were superb and as Alison said could have got a point so so Roy's, Roy's given them something to fight for and
2: isn't that lovely about English football that, that this was a match where there was a team deep deep relegation bother yeah. and a team that really does need to secure that Champions League spot it didn't feel like that there was no desperation it no. was it was joyous
1: my favourite goal was Erdegaard's the opener just the little back heel 1-2 yeah. with Saka finished it I was like a knife through hot butter basically. Shame, shame
2: you won't be at the World Cup isn't it
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think he's getting better and more influential as well. Oh, absolutely. Could have have spent the time talking about Martin Erdegaard, and I'm sure he will before the end of the season. As you mentioned, though, Tom, Watford banging trouble, eight straight home defeats, three points from safety. They've played three games more than Everton, who are just above the relegation zone. They've played the same number of games as Leeds, who I guess it's most realistic to catch up with them then, four points behind them as well. So it could be a difficult end to the season for Roy Hodgson and his team will come back to the top of the table the top four towards the end of the podcast as well but let's stay with further down the table um, and not really the relegation places as such but rather the sides that are pulling away from from it um big wins this weekend for crystal palace brentford and newcastle let's start with palace they're now 10th into the top half seven points taken in the last three games they went to wolves won two goals to nil And more and more when you watch Palace, there's a sense of excitement with their play, especially with Wilf Zaha back in the team. Michael Alise doing well on the other side as well. Very good win for them, Tony.
3: Yeah, and uh, I tell you what, they did brilliantly well. They got behind Wolves an awful lot. You know, considering how good Wolves have been defensively this season and hard to break down, Palace did it with quite ease at the weekend. And when Wilf's at his very best, you know, you think he should be playing in the Champions League. And I've always felt that about Wilf. When he's uh, on his game and he wants to be quite direct, he'll cause any fallback problems. And he always gets a goal tally. You know, you look at his numbers, that always feels like every season he's been... He's never been, I would never go as far as saying he's a one-man team, but I think Palace are such a much better team when he's on on his game. I think Jeffrey Sloop has come in and done really well. I think he's added to, to that. I mean, look, and they've made a couple of signings as well with Gu from Chelsea. He's done brilliantly alongside Anderson. So there's a lot of good things going on for Patrick Vieira. And incidentally, he's he's had about four or five changes in his forward line. He's, he's you know, he's mm. not played. Some Christian B- Bentaki can't get near the team. It feels Edouard has not, not played as well. So he's mm. a, There's a lot of forwards there that he's got an array of, you know, let's say Eze's been injured for a long period. So I think Palace fans are, I mean, look, most of us all have complaints about what we haven't got, but I think they've got far more in the forward areas than they've had for a long time, Palace.
2: And nice passing from Anderson at the back. He's really come on under them, actually. I watched him in Leon a lot. And
3: and you're right, Alwin, he played well at Fulham and... You know, although they went down, he's come in and he settled. In. That partnership with Giro is has really been good for Palace.
1: They're in the FA Cup quarterfinals as well, as I mentioned. In the top half now, Tom. Um, how excited should the Palace fans be about the Vieira era, or what should really be called the
4: Vieira? <laughs> <laughs> mm, I think you mean. I might need to work on that one. Uh, it's not. It's not my worst. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Palace fans and I sit next to a couple in the Times office I think Palace fans will not be getting too excited yet principally because they're Palace fans and they'll be a bit cautious and a bit worried um, about things getting too carried away and some of those young players that you've talked about may be moving on but I think for us neutrals you know, I was thinking about the conversation that you I, and Alison had about underrated teams, you know, we listed um, Southampton and Wolves. I think Palace are not far off being included in that category um, in a few weeks' time when we do do the same segment again. So (laughs) I think that's something to be excited about. On the subject of the defenders, Roy Hodgson made an interesting point, I think, in a press conference recently that, you know, in slight defence of his time at Palace and the kind of pragmatic way in which they played, those defenders, Guy and Anderson, in terms of launching those attacks with kind of a bit more accurate and creative a bit more modern defending forward passing you know no no offense to Gary Cahill but it's not kind of the same level of Mm. passing ability that you're going to get in terms of playing those balls into the channel around a fullback or splitting the defense so I think they're a big part of what Palace are doing under Vieira as well that across the team they're just slightly elevated in terms of technical ability probably.
1: Yeah, I think it's been important. They're, they're a different team. Yeah, it's one of those. It's, it was one of those managerial appointments. I think that a lot of people were saying that's a risk. Yeah, you know, hasn't pulled up trees necessarily in his other jobs, but I think Patrick can, Vieira. Oh, Hugh,
3: can I just say on that? Mm. There was a lot of, I felt misinformation about Patrick Vieira's time at Nice. Mm. He actually done okay. They got seventh in the first year he was there, and they had troubles. They had some money issues in that time that Patrick was there. He done okay. It wasn't like he'd done a disastrous job at Nice. He'd done he done, like I said, more than okay.
1: High expectations there though. Yeah, isn't of there?
3: course. It's a it's a big challenge coming to the Premier League but I think what he's shown is an enormous amount of versatility in how he his team play and personnel that he'll change quite readily you know and signings they brought in you know you think we haven't even mentioned as a boy Gallagher have we Connor Gallagher mm-hmm. you know he hasn't been mentioned, and yet he was pretty superb for him at the
1: weekend as well as, as he seems to always be and we've spoken about whether he'll get a chance at Chelsea maybe Palace is going to be his long-term home We've spoken about Thomas Frank in the past. A big win for Brentford, beating Norwich three goals to one. Ivan Tony getting a hat-trick in the game, ending an eight-match winless run for Brentford. They're now six points clear of the drop. How much of a plus... I've got to say it to you, Alison, it's Christian Eriksen, who started his first game since that cardiac arrest.
2: Uh, It's all unfolding exactly as I predicted it would (laughs) unfold, which is their slide would be halted when Eriksen was fit enough to start. And so it has happened. And the players have said so. I think what happened was it was rumoured that Eriksen would be joining Brentford, which would make him the most glamorous, biggest signing ever in their history. That in, In normal circumstances, they wouldn't be able to attract or afford a player of Ericsson's quality. So once it was in the ether that this might happen, I suspect there was a sense of anticipation and waiting for it to happen. And that might have impacted on how they performed subconsciously, that they knew they were waiting for some sort of push. And so now that it's happened and he is part of the group, he's been training with them, uh, he knows them all anyway because half half the team are Danish, they all get on incredibly well. And they now feel like they're whole, they're, they're complete. And the players have said, you know, he brings uh, not just his passing ability, it's his vision, it's his reading of the game, the way he talks to them. The the whole sense of you can you you just watch him on the pitch. It it looks like Christian Eriksen's played for Brentford for several years. Mm. He's integrated so well, and just adds that touch of quality that makes uh, makes a team feel good. We've just talked about that with Arsenal. It's it's a bit like the like having an Odegaard at Brentford, and so it's just lifted them completely. Knowing that he can play. There's no more worries about whether he'll be fit enough or it'll work out. He looks perfectly capable of playing in a tough, rough-and-tumble Premier League game and they can now go on and use that little bit of extra sparkle that they probably didn't think they would get. If you think about it, they had a fantastic start to the season, Brentford, and then, you know, inevitably it's going to dip off. You know, they have the lowest wage bill in the division. They're they're brand new to the division. They're a small outfit. That, That energy and... Passion you get from it being your first campaign, you know, people are going to work them out and and so on. And they, sh- you know, without Ericsson, it, it it could have happened that they would slowly fade, fade, fade and go into the relegation spots. But the Ericsson factor is enormous. It's enormous on every level, psychologically, emotionally, practically, and in terms of the you know creation of goals on the pitch. It's just going to be fine <laughs> for Brentford. It's not bad that was it.
3: No, no, not at all. No. Great explanation on Ericsson there with our um what I would say is I was lucky enough to watch him play against Republic of Ireland at the Aviva stadium when Denmark won 5-1. Yeah, yeah. And I come away and said what an unbelievable footballer he is. And by the way, dead ball situations so effective causes us an enormous amount of problems. Now if you go and what Alan Allison touched on about what he gives technically to the team, which is a lot, and then you add in set pieces, and you say, well, they've got Pinnock, they've got Johansson, Ayer, and Tony, four very good headers of a ball. So it was no coincidence at the weekend against Norwich that a couple of corners he got rewarded with goals from. Okay, and that's what he'll give for. Even forgetting about open play, because he's still got a lot in them areas as well you're going to see probably one of the most inspirational transfers I would say in the Premier League because he had an injury. If we just look at it as an injury, although it was a heart issue, if he if he's recovered, which we we all know he ha- we're having a defibrillator, that he's going to be fine to play, this guy will cause teams a lot of problems. He is way beyond the Brentford level. He was at into Milan you know which is one of the great European teams in the world and he's played an incredible role at Spurs so him playing at Brentford is well, it's, for him in some ways it's a come down because Brentford are a team that have been coming through the divisions I think it's a boost that no other that we've seen in football in the Premier League because he gives so much just technically and set pieces to a side I would say will probably be and we'll see by the end of the season when he's in the team, we will probably have the best numbers on goals or penalties from set pieces because he will be taking them.
1: Right, our producer's now up to John. We're going to get him to get these stats by the end of the season. We'll come back to that one and see if you're right, Tony. Um, Tom, Newcastle United, five wins in six games for them. They survived pretty much a second-half onslaught against Brighton to win 2-1. Ryan Fraser is the player that stood out to me in this game. Desire work, Ray. He got himself a goal. He looks very fit. Again, it's been a while, long while since we've said that about him. His Bournemouth days, really. It's just a complete change at Newcastle you know during this period of time they're now they're basically a mid-table side we're not even thinking about the possibility (laughs) of them going down
4: well again speaking on behalf of Newcastle fans as I did with Palace fans I'd say calm down to you don't let's not get carried away just (laughs) yet it's not over yet but I mean it's interesting you pick out Ryan Fraser there early on in Eddie Howe's kind of revival it was all about Joe Linton and what he'd done with him and his positioning a few weeks ago we were talking about John Joe Shelby I think that is That is the thing that Eddie Howe deserves credit for as much as anything because we all said, oh, he's going to get loads of money, he's going to buy all these players and, you know, they'll trot up the league. To me, it's actually more impressive and more interesting what he's done with the players that were there already. And so, as you say, when you have Ryan Fraser performing as he did, and I think Murphy as well looked pretty good and kind of attacking using his pace, that to me is the thing that Eddie Howe has done most impressively. Yes, signings like Dan Byrne continue to be very, very important Mm. target as well it's those players that he seems to have either elevated in terms of their positioning or and getting more out of them or just kind of re-reignited their kind of enthusiasm and passion and fitness that's the thing he deserved most credit for. I, I watched this game, and as the goal um, updates
1: were coming through, and every single other match was goals flying in, flying in, flying in. I thought, why am I sticking with this game? You know, <laughs> Newcastle at that point two 2-0 up. I was like, they're going to win. But actually, the second half, the fact, the, the way that Newcastle managed to repel Brighton for virtually all of that game. Yes, they conceded a goal from a set piece, but they got battered. I mean, they could barely touch the ball for mm. most of the second half. And at any other point in this season, watching Newcastle before this run, they would have lost even at two goals up. Yeah. I mean, it was just like the confidence. They they almost felt comfortable without the ball. And we'd criticised their defending so much. And we said Eddie Howe is not the man mm. to solve their defensive issues. The fact that the... Brighton couldn't score a goal from open play despite having basically all of the ball in the second half. I think it was a massive credit to yeah. Newcastle and a big change, as you mentioned, from Eddie Howe.
3: Hugh, he changed three out of the back four. And most importantly of all, Dan Byrne. Because mm. I did a piece for the Times and we, we talked about important signings. And I put Dan Byrne as the top one for Newcastle at the time because I felt they needed a ball-playing uh, centre-back which we talked about with Palace just now, about having the importance of having someone who can be given and be trusted with a ball. I think he's made a huge difference. You talked about Ryan Fraser. Ryan Fraser was the player that didn't want to play for Bournemouth because of the move to Newcastle was adamant uh, that he wanted to go, that Eddie had to not play him. I remember him referencing and saying, I can't play him. You know, his, his mind's elsewhere. And yet he's been so shrewd in his management, he's got Ryan Fraser playing the best football of his career now. So you have to give a lot of, you know, to, to towards Eddie how he's managed that job because there was so much wrong at Newcastle. They need they needed when he got the job European form to stay in the Premier League and even Champions League by the start of the, sort of the new year form. And they've just got a normal, second to Liverpool in points since since the turn of the year. That's been an h- incredible turnaround.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, four straight defeats for Brighton. Allison. 13th now in the table. Graham is obviously a terrible manager.
2: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now, what Brighton are very good at, and you sort of referenced it when you talked about the second half in that game, Brighton are very good at battering you and getting nothing back. It's what happens at clubs that don't have reliable strikers or they have patchy strikers, streaky strikers, I suppose. I mean, I really love Neil Mopay, but he he ebbs in and out of form too much Um,
3: what would you take out at the start of the season if you said Neil Mopay and you said right how many goals where would you go what number would you put would be significant in the season
2: well he's only been significant because he he scored some eye-catching late goals and you know got them points where they were getting none got them a point or three points where they weren't and that's been dramatic and maybe takes away attention from the fact that he's not doing it for the previous 90 minutes. I don't know. Well, I say I that know.
3: because I think there's lots of clubs in the bottom, say mid table and below, if they can get someone who gets 10 goals around or just more, like Ollie Watkins got, what, 13 for Villa in the Premier League last year, I think. You know, that sort of number, that should be enough to keep you in the, in the league and maybe a bit more. But it's very, you know, no club in the mid table and below. They're Going to get a striker, they get some 20 plus goals, aren't they?
2: Yeah, but they have, but their, their possession stats aren't the possession stats of a team in trouble. Mm. They are a team that are doing everything else pretty well, well mm. and it's that final step, isn't it? It's, a, I mean, it's, it happens, it's not just recently, it's happened regularly under Potter that they've had periods where they've still played great football, but they're losing.
1: Yeah, they had 68% possession at St. James's Park. Neil Mopé came off the bench on the hour mark as well. Interesting that he's got eight Premier League goals and didn't start, doesn't start games like that as well. And that, I think, says something.
4: Tom? It's interesting. We're, we're, we're coming down to the kind of mid-table in the Premier League. And, you know, Tone, you've talked about some of those players scoring 13 and whatever. But, Hugh, you mentioned Arsenal with Lacazette doing unselfish play, mm-hmm. i.e linking and setting up other people you then look at the other teams we'll come to them to talk about Liverpool sometimes play without a recognised striker City have done it for basically two seasons United did it yesterday the idea of a striker who then scores goals it's interesting how we all all these other teams Brightons etc are maybe looking to emulate and copy this kind of free form type football but then actually we then go but they need a striker to score the goals because Hmm. these forward players aren't clinical enough I mean what does that do, Tone, you know, when you take away a position, if you like, in order to put in a, a, a more of a recognised striker? Because I think some of these teams, these mid-table teams, if you put a recognised striker in, maybe wouldn't have the same kind of counter-attacking ability, say.
3: Well, you're not going to get the same returning goals. That's pretty clear. I yeah. mean, Mope is a finisher. I mean, I've lo- watched him a lot and I always feel that... I did, a, again, I talked about this about two months ago, about keeping him on the pitch, even if you're losing 1-0 or you're winning or it's 0-0 in a game or 1-1 just keep him on and he got a number of late goals because I think there's one thing you can destroy a, a, a forward uh, with their, their, their belief more than just say confidence but their belief it's a similar thing is that if you keep thinking you're a forward and you haven't scored at 60 minutes and you're looking at the sidelines you're thinking my numbers up, I'm coming off which Graham Potter did a lot of times with Neil Mopay in the early part of the season it's like why do you keep doing that you need a goal He's your best finisher, quite clearly. He's going to get your biggest number. And yes, you can have possession, but the possession is only useful if you've got someone that can finish off a move. And I think he's been guilty, Grand Potter, of sometimes being negligent in that area of not keeping a striker on. Look for other areas of the pitch you may change around. And I think Mopa will get between 10 and 14 goals a season, which, okay, are you ever going to find a 25... Goalier man. I, mm. I don't think Brighton
2: are. Well, I'm not saying it's all Mo Pace fold. <laughs> I I mean, no, no, but. but no one else is chipping in, are they, for Brian? So. No, no, but
4: it's interesting broadly. And, you know, just looking at the top scorers in the Premier League, if you kind of, even like the top 10, Jamie Vardy is the only one that you would say is a recognised, you know, striker yeah. in inverted commas. The rest are forwards, wing players, number 10s, etc Even midfielders, Bruno Fernandes, Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, you, we, we mentioned Ivan Tony at Brentford. Is he a candidate for a move up the table to one of these teams to kind of elevate them? Is he the kind of... I think he
1: is. I think he is. He's a massive creative force for Brentford and he creates a massive number of chances. And he works
4: very hard as well off the ball. But he does
1: need to score more goals from open play. Right. If he played in a team where he wasn't the main creative element, I think he would get more of those chances himself. Mm. But because he's a very selfless player... I mean, to be fair, my Arsenal mate said they wouldn't mind. You know, if they bring because they they think they need to bring in two forwards, they wouldn't mind if Ivan Tony was one of those. They say because he can do everything Lacazette does and more. In their opinion, you know, Lacazette brings others into the play. Tony can do that, but they think he's actually more of a Not me. By the way, not me. No,
4: (laughs) get the boots back on, Tony. Come on. (laughs)
1: Um, They they think Ivan Tony can 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 do that and more. So it'd be really interesting to see if he does get a move at the end of the season.
4: Tony. In the expert here, the expert, the striker's view, not including Jamie Vardy, not including Harry Kane, not including those big six teams, mm. who's the best forward, the best striker in the Premier League?
3: The, oh, well, the one I like a lot is Ollie Watkins yeah. because I think there's so much more to his game than just goals. Yeah. He'll stretch teams for fun um, and he's had an indifferent time, but I do believe that he's shown a lot since he's gone to Villa. Mm. that Will Ollie ever be a 20-plus goaler man, 20-goal uh, a season? I, I loved it that he played alongside Ings because, let's get it right, it's really hard to be a forward in the modern game. Mm. I would hate to play on my own every week, which most teams do. Yeah, you know, and a lot of teams don't want... And there's one thing Brighton are not very good at, is getting the crosses in when it's on. They will go in and out. They'll go from one side and come around and go out the other side. Yeah, yeah. They do that a hell of a lot, Brighton. You know, I've watched them a few times, Hugh, this year, and I've come and think... I'd hate to be sent it forward for them. It yeah. just wouldn't. I wouldn't. All the just things I like in. doing um, wouldn't be useful in that team. So it's really tough in the modern game to be. You've literally got to tick every box: technical, speed, uh, strength, hold up, play. It's really, really tr- tricky. And you could this, have done it, Tony. <laughs> well, I played my final club was Nancy. I, I played with two strikers, two young lads. that were both unbelievably quick, and it was fantastic for me because I just led the line and never had to worry about over. Uh, the space behind I didn't have to exploit space behind they did I would just lead the line and it was great for me if I didn't have that well I'd be like that's the end of my day I'm done and <laughs> you know?
1: uh, listen more still to come on the game podcast we will discuss the Manchester derby at length but remember if you're enjoying it uh, rate us leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed we'll also be getting Tony's predictions for the end of the season before the end of the game stay with us
2: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: VoiceOver on settings.
2: So you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves
1: So let's come to events at the Etihad Stadium on Sunday afternoon. Manchester City 4, Manchester United 1. City sits six points clear at the top. Liverpool, though, have a game in hand. They are, City, a mere 22 points ahead of United. City having 24 shots in the game, 69% possession. They never really got out of third gear. The question for you guys is, was anyone actually surprised by this result and performance? I mean, come on, anyone?
4: No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. It's not a story, is it? No, barely, which is why we're going to be very quick and brief and why we didn't start the podcast with it, Hugh. Lots more teams, (laughs) lots more interesting stuff to talk about. I think, you know, United are an average team with some star names who occasionally perform. They're they're battling for fourth, but they're they're not as fun to watch as Arsenal. Um, They're probably about the same level as Tottenham. And I, it, we just have to factor that into the debate now. We can still be constructive and talk about where do they go from here, who the next manager should be. And we will. And we will. But <laughs> we've got to factor that in. We can't just kind of sit there and go, oh my God, they've lost the Manchester derby 4-1 to Manchester City. They looked okay for parts in the first half. And when they equalised, I thought that was that was a good goal. They had a bit, a bit of a spell of pressure. But... It's not that surprising. No, I wasn't surprised at all.
1: Not really in the same stratosphere. Maybe the only surprise is that it was a derby and people expect a little bit more effort in particular. Certainly Roy Keane did um, in terms of a derby from the Manchester United players. Tony, the second half was a big contrast to the first half. United had five shots before the break, none after it. They had almost 40% possession in the first half, just 21% after half time. For you, what changed in that second period? I'd love to know what went on
3: in the dressing room at half time. I really would. Because if you can show what you do in the first half... And it was it was a close call, wasn't it? In the first 45 minutes, it, you know, it showed a lot of effort and desire to get into certain positions. You go in at half time in the dressing room and you come out and from the very first minute, it was a completely different performance. Everything that they did in the first half, they didn't even get close to in the second half. There's a lot of concerns at Man United. I don't get for the life of me, and look, they're not a one-man team by any stretch of the man- imagination, Manchester City. But Kevin De Bruyne allowed to get on the ball and not be pressured or get close enough to him is a disaster for you. You're asking for so much trouble. And it was a bit like I I touched on the paper this morning with Odegaard at Arsenal. One thing they were guilty Watford of doing is not getting getting on him because he's sitting in pocket positions. And that's what De Bruyne does. He does it for fun. And then once he gets on the ball, everybody else will be brilliant because he's picking passes, he's finding his colleagues and causing mayhem. And I don't get... Look, United have got to get away from McTominay and Fred in midfield. Pogba's their best midfielder by a country mile, but he wants to leave the football club. And I think it's it's like an exit door moment at Man United. There's a few of them that see the future or the grass is greener elsewhere. And that's one of my criticism of how that club has become. I played at Old Trafford, th- Old Trafford three times. 4-0, 4-0, 5-1 was beaten. Okay. They could match you physically.
2: That's you were... because you had your big new contract and you didn't want to play. No, no, Al.
3: Al, I promise you. It was because with all the brilliance they had as players, they rolled up their sleeves, they chased you, they hustled you, and they were physically intimidating. That's what Man United were. That is not what they were on Saturday. And my biggest, one of my biggest problems with Man United team is Fernandes. I have. I've so uh, if he was my teammate, I'd be stop telling him stop waving your arms around at me. And every time you lose the ball, or every time you you misplace a pass, you you put your arms up in the air, sending out a message. I I he would drive me crazy, because he's part of the problem. And I don't mean he's the, he's the scapegoat. He's part of a problem with Manchester United at the moment because, you know, it was all about Ronaldo the problem not so long ago. And yet, Ronaldo's a 37-year-old man who's been incredible everywhere. And and I I find all this scenario developing at Manchester United really strange.
1: I, I might as well come to it, Alison, with you, because it was one of my later questions, but since Tony has brought it up, Harry Maguire, Cristiano Ronaldo... Fred, Scott McTominay, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We've spoken about Bruno Fernandes. We heard at the weekend a, a hip flexor injury for Ronaldo. Edison Cavani apparently having trained, reportedly said he wasn't ready to play in the game. The squad is full of players who either don't want to be at Manchester United or shouldn't be at Manchester United. Before we come to what happens next, there are a number of players in there that you could say are scapegoats because Mm. they've been criticised massively individually. But when you put them all together and you list them all out, it's a shared responsibility for what's going on at Manchester United, isn't it?
2: Easy to point the finger at quite a lot of that team because they don't... Ralph Ragnick came in with this reputation for having invented the pressing game and it being his thing and we all knew there was no pre season so how is he going to transform a team that don't look anything like a pressing team i mean they physically don't look like it as well as you know the stats yeah. show it as well they they're not built that way they're built to me they're built as um a counter attacking team and they should be playing the opposite formation they should be playing 3 at the back using the wings using the flanks getting the ball in counter-attacking punishing teams that play a high line they're built for that so I don't know why they're playing this narrow four-two-two-two. Um, 2 it's wrong and it's it's because Rangnick is going to move upstairs and implement a philosophy of pressing football so it, which is why you get games with Man United where they play quite well in patches and in this case they played quite well for the first half And the reason they came out after half time is because they're knackered and they're being told to work harder and they're not built for it that's what it's that's what it's about they're not built for it they're built for being in a machine each individual player thinks they're part of a a wonderful machine where they play their role because they're technically gifted players that's what they think they should be doing when they've got they're being told to press more show more effort run more be something that they're not and that means they come out and they look like they're not trying because they cannot do it. They're not, that's uh, not why they're there. It's not what they do. They don't like it and they're knackered.
1: Are you sure? Because, I mean, we're seeing, you know, and we've seen it in previous games, not just this weekend, a player with a ball at their feet, Tony, going mm. a three or four, five yards away from Bruno Fernandes, for example, <laughs> and he's not even attempting to get close to them. He's just standing off, walking no real pressure being put because they
2: don't like the tactics and they're tired
1: are they tired though that's my point is it not a mental thing
2: Because well, if you're physically tired you're mentally tired
1: no but my point is is it a mental thing that, that they don't want to play I agree with you that maybe they don't want to play this system but is it not in their lungs you're telling me that they physically can't do it because mentally I can agree with you on I don't think they want to do it and they're choosing not to do it I asked Ralph Randnick previously, "Is your team unfit?" He says, "None of the, the analysis shows that there are players are unfit. None of it. I don't. In any of our victories, they run. They run a lot. You know, when they when we're playing well, they're all over it. They they can cover the ground. So I don't know if they're they are actually you that cover, unfit. If you Manchester cover the United. ground,
2: if you cover the ground when it's clicking, the way that City cover the ground when it's clicking, it doesn't feel tiring. So it's mental." No, because you're you're expending more energy doing something that isn't coming naturally.
1: There was an
3: incident, and they've highlighted it, didn't they, after the match on Sky, where they say seven City players chasing after a ball Mm. when they lost possession. Now, you certainly couldn't show that image of Man United players doing that. I think they've made huge mistakes in recruitment. I think most of the players they've bought in and some of them for really big fees have devalued from where they were. You know, you would never get 50 million for Fred. You wouldn't get 50 million for Wan-Bazaka, Harry Maguire, 80 million and many others. I would also question Varane coming to the football club, although he is not responsible for yesterday. But I would say every time he's got a twisted sock, he's out of the team. Because he's injured every other week, you know, from from one week to another. That there's loads of there's not one thing that you could say that's the reason why United are failing. I think it's a host of reasons. And there's it's very layered at Manchester United where I think it's an incredible challenge for anybody. And I sort of agree with sort of both of you in a way that there is a part of not wanting to. They don't like getting tired. They certainly don't like it. You, you know, I've been in games, myself, you're shattered. You ain't got nothing left in the tank. But what gets you to that position to close someone down? A desire, a hunger to push yourself. You've got to do that. That's a given in football. They don't want to dig deep. They don't want to go to the well. And again, going back to the past, and we can be guilty of always going back to the past, they went to the well every game. This team doesn't want to go to that well.
1: Maybe I was just, um, I guess, seeing the images of Ryan Fraser, hands on hips, absolutely shattered on Saturday and then watching my beloved Manchester United players on Sunday was such a a juxtaposition that I, of course, am scarred now. Um, Tom, what do you think about the problems at Manchester United? Whether you want to talk about the game itself, whether you want to talk about what's overarching.
4: I think overarching is the more interesting and more pertinent thing to discuss because, as we said, with the game itself, I don't think it was that big a deal or that great a shock. The guys have touched on lots of things. I think one way in which you can tie it all together is coming back to that word identity. And they've had lots of different managers who've had different either styles of play and the recruitment hasn't chimed with that manager. You know, Jose Mourinho fell out because he wanted certain types of players, i.e. the older, more experienced players that had won loads of trophies already to come into different positions. Polygon Gunnar Solskjaer didn't really have any kind of tactical identity so they just went out and bought lots of star players lots of mix of young players star players and you know hope for the best Ralph Rangnick is now as Allison says has a definite style of play and it is fairly interesting that someone like Anthony Alanga a young player pacey out wide someone that Rangnick has kind of brought through at various different clubs is doing well it's interesting that I think Jaden Sancho is finally seeing an upturn in form one of the rare bright sparks of Ranić's time because they suit and probably are getting more out of his management style. He and then this transitional phase, if he then picks his successor, will only work if you then recruit the players for that manager. You know, Tony talked about bad recruitment. I don't just, I just don't think it lines up. And we do it too often because they're miles away. But if they want to be back at Manchester City and Liverpool levels, they they pick managers with identities and tactical styles on and off the pitch, and they bought players for those for, for that identity. They're doing it at Arsenal yeah. now. That's what Mikel Arteta's done. It's taken a long time, but that's what they got now. The, you know he wanted players that could play that fast, zipping passing play, and that's why you then get it this season. You go, look, oh, they're brilliant to watch, but it's taken a long time. And so United might need to pick a manager and do that, and give them the players, and it'll mean some big names leaving definitely.
1: There is something I did want to ask you about, Tony. Chelsea, in particular, not really their result. It was just the moment. I know you spoke about it this weekend. Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel criticising some of the club's fans after they chanted the name of the club owner, Roman Abramovich, during that minute's applause in support of Ukraine before the game against Burnley at the weekend. Thomas Tuchel said afterwards, it wasn't the moment to do this. If we show solidarity, we show solidarity, and we should do it together. We do it for Ukraine. There is no second opinion about the situation there. They have our thoughts and our support. We should stand together as a club. It was not the moment for other messages. Just as an ex-Chelsea mm. player, what was your reaction? Well, I thought Thomas Tuchel
3: handled it brilliantly because it was mistimed. Uh, you know, I don't believe... Sometimes fans can be really stupid and do stupid things and like we all do in life, we make big mistakes. I think it was basically... <sighs> from roman's time as an owner and the success the fans have had under roman it was all sporting it was nothing to do with the bigger picture i just think they forgot what the why they were it was happening that You know, we shouldn't be singing his name now, but they've done that. And it came out so badly, the timing of it, because I think it was all based on the success of what he did sporting-wise. Nothing to do with the politics. Yeah, I I
1: don't think it was a a, a sign of support for what's happening from the Russian perspective. I agree with you on that. It's just very poorly timed. Oh,
3: the, The timing's terrible. But do supporters sometimes think about that? Do You know, the moment that, you know you're getting the feeling of a sort of celebration for the Ukraine or, or, you know... A show of support. show of support for them that they chose to sing a song. Did they really think, well, we'll do it at that time? And then think of the consequences. Sometimes we don't, you know, In normal human instinct isn't to do the right thing all of the time. And I think they got it totally wrong. And I was on the radio at the weekend talking about it and a lot of Chelsea fans, and some of them went to the game and said... Even after it happened, they thought, "Oh, we've got that wrong."
1: Mm.
2: It felt wrong to be clapping for there to be a minute's applause for solidarity with Ukraine. There's a war on. I don't. Where do, where do we start clapping when there's a war on? If I mean, there's something. Something is marked at almost every the start of every match now, and you think, really, really, you know, it's, it's diluted the impact it has. A minute silence has gone right out the window. So everyone's applauding whatever they want to applaud. No, not war. That is the moment to be grown up. Have a minute silence. I, it would have so much more impact. And mm. I actually stopped clapping because it felt, it just felt immoral. And I don't know. I think people think, oh, we'll have applause because people might make a noise in a minute silence. It's easier. Mm. Applause masks the idiots. No, let's let's go for it. If you want to show solidarity make a statement have a very serious sombre minute silence I I don't like the applause at all
1: okay I appreciate both your answers on that Mm. listen we've still got more to come on the game podcast we're going to be playing Ask Tony next since we've got Mr Cascarino with us stay with us on the game right to end today's episode of the game podcast Tony Cascarino joining us as I say every other fortnight let's play Ask Tony because all of us that appear on the Game Podcast have just about made our predictions. Tony, it is easier for you because you're doing it later in the season than any <laughs> of us, so you can't really complain about who you think will be champions. This is the first one, and maybe the toughest one to call. City. Easy? i won't no, say easy. I
3: think it's been remarkable that Liverpool have hanged on to their coattails. But I just don't see City dropping the amount of points that's required. I mean, Liverpool still have to go to the Etihad and win, which is not impossible. They're very capable of doing that, Liverpool as a side. But I do also think City's running is slightly better. And I do think Liverpool would have to win nearly every game. and I don't think they'll do that.
4: Tony, can I ask, we've debated this, you and I particularly, on City, and yes, they were excellent against the poor man United side. Do you think they are... As good as they were last season in terms of that relentlessness, because my argument has been that I wonder whether they might just have a couple more slips in them. Because I've watched them and I didn't think they were as as machine-like as you know. You and I have discussed it before, writing for the paper, that they are just this relentless machine that just gets wins whether they're playing well or not. I haven't felt they're quite at that level. How have you seen it this season?
3: Well, it's pretty close, Tom. You know, yeah. it isn't, we're talking small margins. Yeah. And I, if you look at the remaining games, if City won every one of them, you'd probably say, well, they're every bit as good as last mm. season. They're a team that can go and win nine back-to-back back ten. Yeah. They can do that. And that's my concern. And I, like I said, I feel it's incredible what Liverpool have done to stay with them and try and put pressure on them. But they don't really fail with pressure. Mm. They always seem to come back with something, um which which they did the season before. They had it in different period and then they won on this amazing run. I think City are made like that. They have so many players that can come into that team if someone slips out of form. Um I'd love to see Liverpool do it because I'm biased, because I'm a Liverpool fan. I just think it's a big ask to expect City to drop, you know, lose two games or maybe two two defeats and a couple of draws. I just don't think they'll do that. They
2: don't need to, Tony. It's in Liverpool's hands. They just beat them at the Etihad and it's all over.
3: Yeah, I still think Liverpool's running
2: is slightly tougher. So you're what you're really saying is you think Liverpool are going to lose a few games?
3: Yeah, I think they will drop points along the way. Uh, you know, Liverpool weren't... Don't you, Alison? No...
1: We're going to win every nearly, match between here and the end. Nearly of the at the
3: weekend, by the way. You know, West, West, Am, West Ham had two incredible chances. Three, three incredible
1: what? chances? Well, okay, I mean, three. Come on. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't. Say that best I'm... right back in the world, Trent Alexander-Arnold, just allowing chances again. We should have done a Liverpool section. Now I think about it on this this episode of the game. So, so I think City will do
3: will do it. They'll have enough. Well, say enough. They've got enough anyway. We all know that. I still think they need a striker though. I'm just saying. Um Top four, Tony. Oh, that that's quite easy now. I think. I think it's it'll be City, Liverpool, Chelsea,
1: Arsenal. Arsenal definitely.
3: Yeah, look, three games in hand at this stage of the season over Man United is huge. West Ham are really out of the running now, for, and so are Wolves. In, you know, obviously tonight there's a game mm. with Spurs playing against Everton. I I can only see Arsenal getting over that line now, and they've got. I think they've got. Chelsea and Tottenham to play as well, which could make a difference. But Arsenal
1: have got quite a good buffer on the rest of the teams behind big them. Big week for Arsenal. So I think we'll see the shape of, of what's to come. Um, hosting Leicester, um, hosting Liverpool and then away at Aston Villa. That's a big week, big week for, for Arsenal. So we'll see. We might change our opinion by the next time uh, you're with us, Tony. What about the bottom three?
3: Well, definitely Norwich. I thought that was the final throw the dice at the weekend. Um, and they've been pretty poor all season. Watford, unfortunately, if you said to me, what is Roy Hodgson as a manager? I've always felt he's the point a game manager. If you was at the start of the season and you had 38 games, Roy's going to get you 38 points and keep you safe because that's what he'll average around that, that sort of margin. And I think he's gone into a club at Watford where a point is not enough a game to keep them up. So I believe that will take Watford down. There were some really good things against Arsenal at the weekend. and But I do believe that he's not going to be able to manage to get the sort of wins that are required for him to stay up. Burnley's an interesting one. Burnley's, you know, I the 4-0, they were really good in the first 45 minutes against Chelsea. And then they end up losing the game 4-0. Um, they always lose
2: when Ben Mee isn't playing. Though.
3: Yeah, that's, well, they... I mean has taken a lot of plaudits and a lot of people saying how well he's played I don't think he'll get the numbers in goals you know I, I see if he look he's got one already in the Premier League he'll do well to get even close to five I think he causes a lot of problems and <laughs> havoc but I don't think he'll be on numbers man with goals that that Burnley certainly miss so who are your
1: three I
3: would go for them three, yeah.
1: I'd, oh, okay. Burnley as well.
3: Yeah.
2: Not Everton or
3: Leeds? No, I think Everton's game's in hand. Okay. I, I, I just think there's... And again, they were in a serious position and, and still close to it because, you know, again, what happens tonight, I I just think they've got enough good players to, you know, Gordon's coming. If they get Calvin Luit fit, Richarlison, you know, they've got enough there to midfield-wise...
1: Not sure defensively, but still enough to stay up. would be a huge story if Everton went down, wouldn't it? Absolutely massive. Um, just finally, before we end the game podcast, I wanted to take a moment to praise... The offside technology on VAR. Yes, this week we slam this a lot. You know, when it gives us a very marginal offside call, you know, a centimetre or two, we're all ready to queue up to say how bad it is and how it goes against the game. Two massive goals given this weekend by that very marginal. Maybe the Riyad Mahrez one wasn't massive because they were already 3-1 up and there was about a minute left, but it was a big game. And then the goal for Sadio Mane as well, onside I think we have to praise it. You know, it's a good thing. This is what, we, this is what it's all about. This is why it was brought in.
2: And yet you have 28 minutes in which you all sit around twiddling your thumbs before you can celebrate. It's not a good thing at all.
1: Right. OK, so if they were disallowed, it would have been better, would it?
2: No, because who knows what a really good lino would have done in the circumstances.
1: <laughs> so you say it's the lino's fault.
2: No, what we need is we need... We, we don't need it to be reviewed we need the technology if you're going to go down the technological route you have it linked to the person with the flag so everybody knows in the stadium if the flag goes up there's no debate you don't celebrate and if the flag doesn't go up you you, you still have that moment where you think oh, it's going to go to review you don't know what to do you, you know that it's on side so they need to Move the move the technology one step forward so that everyone knows straight away if it's a goal or not. Okay. You can
3: you can easily get to
2: ten seconds.
3: Easy, yeah. You know, easy get to ten in seconds your... to make a call on a goal. Okay, I, I mean, like Alison said, I mean, if you've got the technology there, you know, we're, where the moment we're taking, we're close to a minute, minute and a half. I can't see how it can't, that can't be done in ten seconds.
1: I've got no idea. I mean, so we've ended up criticising it, even though we were taking a moment to, to You pray. should have seen
4: that coming I you, mean,
1: man. Come wow. <laughs> I thought everyone would be on my side. Anyway, listen, thank you so much for being with me for the past hour or so. And thank you all for listening. Remember, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times for more of our award-winning journalism, where, of course, you can regularly hear from Mr. Cascarino himself. Check it out online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you all on Thursday. Take care.
2: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: VoiceOver on settings.
2: So you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, Contacts, Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.